welcome to the Present Age Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Malloy. Joining me this week is writer Pete Croato. Pete is the author of From Hang Time to Prime Time, Business, Entertainment, and the Birth of the Modern Day NBA. I'm a big fan of his and I really enjoyed our conversation, so let's just get started. Hey, Pete. Oh, hey, Parker. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there. I'm surviving. It is... Uh, you know, it's starting to, it's becoming fall. It's getting cold outside. I love it. It's rainy right now. It's fine. Matches my mood. I love yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you wrote a book about the NBA and how it became so entwined with pop culture. Can mm-hmm. you tell me a little bit about your background and your book? Certainly. Yeah. I mean, I am, I don't know if I'd consider myself to be a sports writer, I mean, I've written about sports for years and, you know, for Slam and the old good Deadspin and Grantland and and various outlets. But I've always been driven kind of by my curiosity about certain topics. And, um, yeah, and that's kind of kept me afloat. But I've never really been a a beat reporter or a sports reporter. So um, in kind of, you know, and I'm pursued by my curiosity more than anything. So about eight years ago, wow, it seems like a long time ago, I wrote a piece for Grantland on Marvin Gaye's national anthem at the 1983 NBA All-Star Game. And, you know, that piece was about, I interviewed 25 people and it was 2,500 words. And it was a piece I'm very proud of, and it's still on the Grantland site. But in writing that, in writing and reporting that story, there were just a lot of unanswered questions. And the one thing that I kept coming back to was, how did we, how did the NBA get to this, to a moment where and where Marvin Gaye went from being this scandalous um, choice who does this rendition of a national anthem that is, you know, soulful and R&B flavored and really is a, nothing uh, uh, like anything anyone has ever heard before, where that becomes normal, where like the, where that becomes like where, you know, someone like, you know, Fergie singing the national anthem is normal or, or you know, how did the NBA become the cool sport? Like that seemed that point in the market transition between the old stodgy NBA and the NBA that we see today. And I couldn't really explore that in a 2,500 word piece. And I kind of became convinced that this was a book. So through, you know, several years later and a lot of false starts and a lot of um, questionable decisions on my end, uh, you know, I wrote, I wrote this book, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really, never really been a sports writer. I've been a freelance writer for 15 years now, I started off in newspapers and just by happenstance and good fortune, I got into sports writing. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I really liked your book because it Thank it, you. it it really took this, um, which God, up until I moved a few months back, I, I had it next to my desk, but now I don't, I went three sports <laughs> just okay. now. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's a good book. It's called uh, From, from what was it? I, I don't want to get it backwards. It's, it's from, from, hang, from time hang time to, to prime time, there right? We go, yeah. Yes. <laughs> from prime time to hang time to whatever time to, yeah. The orange book. That's what I it's call the, it. It's the orange book with the TV head and the yeah. Duncan, you know? <laughs> um, I'll be sure on the uh, transcript of this to include a photo of the Thank book you. cover so people will uh, know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so what are... <sighs> The, the book is filled with a ton of really interesting stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I kind of thought about, but haven't necessarily uh, put in much in 
research into look, yeah. looking, trying to look some of this stuff up because mm-hmm. I mean, I remember it was just, it's, I mean, it seems like it was just a few years ago, but it's possible it was longer um, where players would be fine for not wearing like the proper attire yeah. to the pregame stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it was very uptight and yes. fair, fairly recently. And now it seems like it's gotten to this point where the players have, have, uh, really taken it upon themselves to to express themselves and to kind of ease out of the uh ease out of that sort of era what what do you attribute to um to that that's a good question i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you know i you know if you look at the nba nba's demographics now it's it's mostly african-american and i think as time has gone on hip-hop hip-hop culture has really become mainstream more so you know at, with each year that passes by it becomes more and more ingrained into the culture and that's really what what you see now is you see things that would have been again dismissed 15 16 years ago are now just sort of you know it's it's just it's normal it's the way things are i mean it takes a long time for things to become embraced into the culture um and i think what you're seeing now with with you know again with you know the the whole fashion element of the of of the um of the NBA becoming a very you know a very hip hop league a very a league that isn't very suit and ties like the NFL that I think that's a very much a reflection of who's in the league and also how the culture has changed with with you made a good point just now with um with with uh, the the dress the dress code I really think that had everything to do with David Stern being the NBA commissioner at the time and David Stern is a key part key figure in this book. But at the at the time of the of the dress code ban, I think he was in his mid sixties, early sixties, and he was at a time in his life like a lot of people, where you get older and you don't understand things. And when you don't understand, your first reaction is to chastise or to ban or to make a rule instead of asking questions and understanding what the what the intentions are. So that's really you know I think that's sort of to me that's you know David Stern's failings as a commissioner really were kind of came to light as he got older and you know he got he got older and the players kind of stayed the same age they're all still men in their 20s and 30s for the most part and younger as the nba draft became you know more about getting high school kids in there yeah definitely i for some reason when you said that the first first thing that popped into my head was david stern doing matthew mcconaughey's line from from He's getting older. They stay the same. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to even venture to do an impression of David Stern doing Matthew McConaughey and Daisy Confused. I but, have. So, I have so no. much collateral as, as a as a public person. I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there. Yeah, you don't want to be become known as the guy trying to do the. Uh, do, no, do nobody David wants Stern that. as McConaughey. Um, but yeah, I mean, so so one thing that I I, I do is I I. A few years ago, I started to get into video games again. Oh, great. Uh, because that's the thing. Whenever the world gets crazier, I, I pick up a hobby that mm-hmm. seems to be from my childhood. Like, nice. I was I was just showing you earlier, I, baseball cards. That That's my new one, picking up baseball cards. But oh, nice. so a few years back, I just kind of on a, on a whim was like, I'm going to buy a Nintendo Switch because okay. that way I can play games. Because I was playing a lot of games on my phone, and yeah. what would happen is... Like I'd get pop-ups that were always terrifying. It was always like, "Hey, <laughs> Trump just did this crazy thing," and it was like, "Oh no, that is not relaxing. I no. can't, I can't relax when I'm holding this thing that constantly tells me what's happening in the world." Yeah. So I bought a switch, 
And then from the Switch, I ended up getting a PlayStation. And once I had the PlayStation, I started buying all the sports games as they came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, Madden and MLB The Show and um, NBA 2K, that, nice. that series. And so nice. in the latest one, latest NBA 2K game, which came out just, uh, I don't know, like a month month or two ago, it's uh, it's really interesting how mm-hmm. the cultural element plays into the whole thing. If you do the my yeah. career mode, okay, yeah, there's this there's this thing where you can, you know, do certain things and uh, get points towards being becoming a music mogul, yeah. or you you can uh, do something else and and start your own fashion line. Yeah, and it's really interesting how much uh, out how, how much non-basketball stuff plays into it but Mm -hmm. it seems to it seems to work i mean a while back i was tweeting um tweeting about playing it where i'm like there is basketball in this game at some point you know (laughs) but like the player that you are in the my career mode it's like a guy who made videos and he's a youtube star now he's basketball star it's it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's not actually a a path to the NBA that people <laughs> actually seem to take, but it's a lot of fun. And I thought that it was really interesting to see how that kind of worked in. Yeah. Um, one one thing I have been thinking about, yeah, um, which is also kind of represented in, in the game in the sense that there are a lot of really not so subtle advertisements built into that. Like the dude oh, who definitely. plays Jake from State Farm. I saw that. That yeah. was crazy. He's like, in the game. A- and he, shows, interaction. Yeah. and he shows up several times. At one point, he is several in your times? apartment. It's like, Ooh. you come back from a game, and he's, like, at your table. It's weird. It's very do think, strange. Do you think any player in any sport wants to hang out with Jake from State Farm? Probably not. <laughs> like, I can't imagine anybody, like, like Russell like, Westbrook or Aaron Rodgers, actually wanting to spend their spare time with, with Jake from state farm. Yeah. So, so, so it's like, so, so like he's in there, but then, you know, I thought, Oh man, that's not really subtle, but that reminded me of how now on the, the uniforms for the past few seasons, there have been all these ads. What are your thoughts on, on the advertisements on the uniforms? I'm, I'm not a fan. And I, I mean, I feel like, I feel like it'd be weird to be like, yes, I love this, but like how much. <laughs> See, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not a giant fan of them, mm-hmm. but I understand why, why the NBA does it. And what you mentioned before about this whole, the, the marketing being folded into NBA 2K, um, which is delightfully absent from the NBA jam console mach- uh, arcade game that my family got me. Um, the, that's what the NBA has always done. The NBA has always been, has always had an alliance, sometimes an uncomfortable alliance with advert with that with his advertisers. And it's it started and it's it's been this it's been this way for forever, starting back to you know to uh, you know just you know start, even, I mean look I mean how many how many um, leagues have advertisers for their own for their own product like the NBA you know, the NBA action it's fantastic. So that's that has been baked into the NBA for years. Um, so the logos don't really bother me. I, I don't like them aesthetically, but to me, this is it, this is what the NBA has always been about. Uh, one of the a guy that I spoke to for the book, Joe Cohen, who fo- who founded an MSG Network, he he delivered the quote, which I think explains everything about the NBA and why we're able to roll with the punches as well as we do. He said that the NBA's tradition is that it has no tradition. So all these things that you see with the video games and the patches, and you know, even the the floor, the the 
the advertisements on the floor. Have you noticed this? Where it kind of switches over every quarter. Like those things seem weird and kind of Orwellian, if I hope I'm using that term correctly. But they, but well, no they, one else is. So, you know, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hop on. It, it all seems normal because the NBA has has always been about doing never staying still. What bothers I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because the one uniform thing that bugs me to death is the whole home and away concept now. Like no teams don't seem to wear like what a light color for home or dark color for away now it's reversed mm-hmm. and it takes me like five minutes to figure out who the hell's playing who <laughs> like are we, is this in phoenix or, or la i don't know that annoys me more than the patches but the patches is is a bit of a it's a bit much but yeah. you know what it's the nba is in, is in this business is in is in it to make money and that's what they do year after year after year yeah i mean i was i was glad to hear that um there, there was a tweet earlier like right before the season started uh, mm-hmm. from, from the bulls that were, that were like white uniforms are back at home. And it's like, finally, finally, oh, it's because, a relief, isn't it? Cause yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it was, it was weird. It was weird because I mean, growing up, I always liked them because I classic growing movies. up in, in, in and around Chicago, the yeah. bulls were everything to me, especially in the nineties. You know, oh I God. Yeah. 14, 15 years old. And mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, doing all that stuff yeah. you know it was it was great it was wonderful um and yeah i was like the the red uniforms better but white at home and it was just sort of tradition yeah. that kind of kept kept going on and it's something yeah. that you know in other sports they have their traditions you know football darker right. colors mm-hmm. home and white away which i th- i think it's kind of like really makes sense in the in the sense that like you know you've got these the the away team mm-hmm all muddy and yeah, I love it. <laughs> it. They look like they've taken a beating, which is kind of, I think mm-hmm. somewhat of the idea behind that. And then there've always been exceptions like the Dallas Cowboys yeah. would always wear white at home and white on the road. So almost always white. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been interesting to see the, uh, to see the uniforms sort of uh, flip, flip around like that. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, of the interesting and kind of out there throwbacks and remixes yeah. and all of that stuff. I mean, some of them are better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on, on those? My thought is I, I've thought, I mean, there's a lot of thought because I have, um, because in my, in the few moments that I have to myself, I, my mind kind of goes in these weird directions and I'm of the belief that there hasn't been a great uniform in any major sport that has been created past 1985. I mean, if you look if you look at the classic NBA uniforms and even NFL, Major League Baseball, all the major the four major sports, I can't think of a, I, I am hard pressed to think of a great uniform that came out after 1985. So I love seeing the throwbacks. Like yeah. I love seeing in any sport. I mean, there are some exceptions that are horrible. Like I remember the the Eagles a few years back had that horrible blue and, and yellow combination. And the Steelers had one that where they, they looked like barber poles with black or bumblebees. But for the most part, I love, I love throwbacks. And yeah. I, you know, and the thing too, with, with throwbacks is that, you know, for, for all these leagues, it's a moneymaker because you can now sell like all this stuff, you know, online or at Mitchell and Ness. And it, it you know, everyone comes about that and happy, but like with the NBA, like every time they unveil a new uniform, yeah, especially those ones that were what was it like the city uniforms that came out <laughs> they they just I, I i just cringe i like i love the classic 70s 80s 
even early 90s uniforms. And those Bulls uniforms are a good example. They're classic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. The Bulls can't really change them because not much has changed about their uniforms over the years. I mean, no. you've had some some all you know some differences. You've had uh, they introduced the the black uniforms in the '90s. That was one of the black. Those the, I like the I red like stripes, pinstripe. Yeah, those yeah. are those are, like those, those are cool. Those are cool. And then they replaced those with an all black that didn't have the pinstripes, which eh, it was fine. My favorite uniform growing up, I mean, was always the um, the sonics uniform with the, the green with like the white the white oh, stripes across great. it just said sonics love those uniforms those those were my favorite and i was i was very disappointed when they uh updated those in i think it was like 95 or 96 <laughs> so you're so you're you're more disappointed about the about the uniforms being updated were you more upset about the uniforms being updated or the seattle or the sonic being stolen from seattle you know I, it's, I, a it's, a, it's a little of both <laughs> because it's like yeah. i don't know the oklahoma city thunder come on like that's I, uh, eh, eh. And, they, and those are terrible uniforms like yes i don't know i the, the sonic uniforms in the 70s are are great uh, yeah. those are great uniforms the bucks uniforms in the 70s with sort of the the that the like the kelly green with red on they're 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 gorgeous mm-hmm. um you know i don't know I'm, I'm trying to think of a uniform from like you know who's a good, who has good uniforms mm-hmm. um now in the nba i think the warriors have really good uniforms i yes. think they're you know they're clean the logo pops it's it's a beautiful the color scheme is great it's a beautiful uniform um but yeah, most most uniforms now. I look at them and it, it just looks like I don't know. It looks like something like a middle aged dad would wear to a picnic. It's like you know, like and not like the like the cool middle aged dad, but like the dad who's like maybe been divorced, trying to find their way. You know, they pick up this 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 cool tank top at I don't know Kohl's or another another gentleman's store and. and it just doesn't, it just doesn't, it's just not a good fit. I, I don't, but look, I'm, I'm very different. I'm not the market for the NBA. I'm a 44 year old white dude. That's the NBA is not looking for my dollars. So I think, I don't, I don't think Adam Silver or anybody else um, in the Olympic tower is going to be returning my phone calls about the uniform. So. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I have, I have suggestions just, just screaming those out there. <laughs> but yeah, there was, I mean, there were some, some really drastic I, I remember in the in the nineties there were a lot of like really drastic shifts in uniforms, like especially yes. mid late nineties. You had the mm-hmm. Rockets ad- ad- adopted that like awful weird blue with three D like silver. Oh. Oh, it, was it, it was it awful. was a mess. You had um mm-hmm. uh the the D- Detroit Pistons. That was one that was a no. big jump, a big change. Yeah, I don't. I didn't hate it, but it was just so different. It that was you're very like, different. Where but did this know, come from? But you know what? Where it came from, though, and I think I remember reading somewhere, and I could be wrong about this, but you know, I think those all those designs that you saw, and there were only a and look, a few of the teams kind of stuck to the traditional ways of do, of having their uniforms: the Lakers, the Celtics, uh, the Knicks, to a certain extent. I really, tr- I, tr- I remember reading this, and I could be wrong, but around 1996, which was when all the, which when the shift started to happen, there was sort of a movement to make the logos more kid friendly and to make it more eye popping. So you know, and and again that, and and so again that meant that you know, 85 percent of the teams, like their the, the 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 logos and the jerseys got bigger and bolder and more colorful. And they weren't as subdued as mm-hmm. as past. But the Rockets one was awful. 
I mean, that's that, so the Rockers on the Bucks was another example. Like they all be the the jazz with that you know with that airbrushed mountains, which looks like the like the which looks like the front of like an off brand seltzer company. Um, you know, just it became sort of it became again geared toward the kids again. Like I, I think it it's funny you, the, in perusing Twitter, which is never a good idea. No, um, <laughs> no, as you know more better than anybody. Um, perusing Twitter, there are. I, you do see a lot of older NBA fans and which I think is great. The thing, but the thing is like those fans are going to stay no matter what, like I'm going to be an NBA fan regardless of who's wearing what. But again, the entry point, I think the uniforms and the logos and the court design stuff, that's, th- those are sort of, um, those are sort of like gateway drugs to get casual fans involved because like, I'm not going anywhere. So, you know, if the, if the bucks want to, you know, actually put on like deer uniforms in two years and play they can do that and get away and, and get away with it because again the game as long as the game doesn't fundamentally change so yeah yeah that um that's good that's a great point i mean and uh really interesting i guess i guess i hadn't really thought about the fact that it was it was kind of more kid friendly i yeah. was just like it's really in your face it, it was really like is. it yeah. was like the like mountain dew generation kind of like yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> it, it that's a good point though like if you put if you those logos and, the, and those uniform designs let's say like from like 98 to 2004 2005 mm-hmm. they they could they could go on like a on a energy drink can yeah like oh, the absolutely. color the colors are the same the the the, the logo and again, and again, like if you're a traditionalist who grew up with Dolph Shays and two-handed set shots, like that angers you because it's 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 unfamiliar and it's it's ridiculous. But if you're someone who grew up in that era in the '80s and '90s, where it's like, well, every year there's something different, mm-hmm. like it's all right. It's just a, it's the same. It's the same old stuff. It's the same same you know same same. It's you know change becomes the the, the constancy, and mm-hmm. you know that's that's kind of you know, when you get used to that, like it's golden. Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing I wanted to, one non-uniform thing I wanted to <laughs> ask you about, which sure. actually, actually, one more point on uniforms. Okay. My my favorite uniforms of all time are actually not a uh, not an NBA team's uniform, but my favorite basketball uniforms of all time. It's a two-way tie, both from the year nineteen ninety-six. Okay, the, you've got the Olympic uniforms, which I love. Those them. are good. Those are good with the cursive USA. Yeah. I Those love are that, nice. and I love the the font that they use for the for the numbers. Yep, that's a and good one. Also, the nineteen ninety six All Star uniforms. The, oh, it's, the, 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 like teal that, and like <laughs> it was it was when they were playing. It, I think it, it was in San Antonio, so it used yeah. all the like oh, God, the like yes. alt the. Those the are teal and the pink and the orange, like that were the alternate colors down oh, on the Spurs God. list. <laughs> those are see that's see those <laughs> uniforms are so bad they're good. Like they, yes, they go, they go around and and they, and I I think we we I tweeted about this like those uniforms. Yeah, I think Mitchell and Ness now sells them. Yeah, but they look like they look like they're playing for for like a a, a Mexican food league. Like, I mean, it's just kind of yeah. But, but that's the appeal and and but that just goes to show you too like. Like if baseball did that, yeah, the shit would just be nonstop about like you're denigrating the game and can, but the NBA can put can can put out can deck their teams out in uniforms where they where it looks like Team Taco Bell playing against like Mesa Jake, and no one really it didn't really bother anybody. No. It was like that's odd. It was but then fun. we went about it our business. Different. 
Yeah. And that's kind of like, that's kind of the whole NBA right there. It's like, again, like there's, there's going to be stuff, but like, if you get to see Michael Jordan play, like who cares, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure like that, yeah, that was a Jordan all-star game, 96. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, so you weren't caring about what he was wearing, right? Like it was just, he's, he's Michael Jordan. Like that's all that matters. Exactly. And uh, yeah. Did, did you, did, did, wait, I have to ask you, did, did you have either, either one of those jerseys? I have, um, I have the USA one. It's a Shaquille O'Neal jersey, nice. number 13. Right, he was 13. Um, okay. Yeah, I went last year. Uh, last year, I went back to my parents' parents' place for or two years ago, actually. I okay. Went back to my parents' place to uh-huh. kind of just rummage through their basement for a little bit. Nice. And and one of the things I did was I was like picking out all the old NBA jerseys, those old champion jerseys. And I love uh, those jerseys. Yeah, no, those are always great. The one thing that always bothered me was that they would never be like accurate like the like the sonics jersey didn't have the white stripe across the front it just said sonics and, uh, and it was like what, what is going on why don't you you know point. yeah I, and I, uh yeah it, it made me want to shell out the money to get the rep the actual like replica jerseys but oh, uh that, that, then that again is... i was like I, I was like 10 years old, so I didn't have any money at the time. <laughs> so you, you didn't have $300 to, to pluck down on yeah, a, uh, yeah, on a Kendall Gill Sonics jersey. You exactly. Didn't have... <laughs> you know, the, no, I, see, it was, it was yeah. Sean Kemp. That was, that was, okay, the, of course. that was the I'm, one who was close, close to my heart. His dunks. Right. Oh, love were, were amazing. The, 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 the embarrassing jersey that I have, I used to buy, I, every once in a while I go to outlet malls and I would just mm-hmm. sort of buy whatever was around when I was a kid. The one jersey that I have that I think is probably, I wish I'd kept. Because I think it was just so. Again, it was like the 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 All Star Game jersey from '96. Like so mm-hmm. bad, it was good. I actually spent like twenty bucks and I got a Sean Bradley Seventy Sixers jersey with seven with the Seventy Six on the back, and I wore it playing pickup, and I was ter- It was I was terrible. Plus, if you're not plus, you should never you, when you're playing pickup, you should never wear jerseys. I just it, you always look like a like a like a chump. So <laughs> that went right back into the drawer. I wish I had kept that though. Cause I was like, one of, that's one of those classic, like, you know, like hipster jerseys. So mm-hmm. I, but I was, that was the one that, and I had a heart, Tim Hardaway Jersey that I, I got rid of. Um, but yeah, those are, yeah, I had a, I had a few of them, but Sean Brown was probably my prize in terms of just like, get a load of this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That, uh, that was always, always fun to, to kind of keep up with the jerseys, but yeah. So anyway, so, so the one thing I wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. was uh, just in, in the course of your reporting, because you, how many people did you interview for this book? Oh man, 315 Three. original interviews. Yeah. And then you throw in like the ones from previous reporting. It probably, right. it probably adds up to about 350, 360 total. Mm-hmm. So who was the most interesting interview you had? And what was something that, before you started writing the book, you didn't know that surprised you in the course of that you learned and surprised you that you found interesting in the course of reporting it out. You know, that's the, I'll answer the second question first, if you don't mind, Mm -hmm. because it's always easy to come uh, with that, with that answer. I mean, I I feel like I learned something every day. Like that was the, that was the joy of, that's the joy of, of, that was the joy of writing this book. And also the joy of just reporting anything is you get told, you get paid to learn. And you get paid to you know expand your horizons and 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 you know get get some perspective. So I mean, every day I would I would like come to my I would go to my and be like, hey, you're not gonna you're not gonna believe this. Like you know, David Stern actually toured like MLB you know MLB studios to kind of get ideas for NBA entertainment and 
after a while, my wife like tuned, tuned, tuned me out and like got back to reading her book. Um, but like, it was seriously part of like, I feel like every day I was learning something and every day there was another nugget I wanted to include another nugget I felt I had to get in. But the thing that I think really, really stuck out in the reporting was just how, how important Larry O'Brien, the original commissioner was to the NBA's ascension. And that's for two reasons. The first reason was that, you know, at the time, Larry O'Brien was a major p- political player. He was a two-time um, uh, head of the, of the De- Demo- Democrat National Committee. Um, he was a member of JFK's inner circle. LB- he was LBJ's postmaster general. So when the NBA hired him in 75, it was almost like a step down for him. I mean, now if you're the commissioner, if you're named the commissioner of any league, that's the summit. Like you, 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 you are like, that is your, that is a career highlight. But for Larry O'Brien, it was a step down. But with Larry O'Brien, what, you know, his hiring gave the NBA instant credibility, which is what it needed. The other thing too with Larry O'Brien was that he hired David Stern to work full time. And he basically had David Stern be his right-hand man saying, hey, look, you know, I don't want, basically, you know, Larry O'Brien was more of a figurehead. He was somebody who was just sort of there to, you know, keep things moving along. But David Stern did all the dirty work. So by Larry O'Brien getting David Stern out there to, you know, meet the work with the general, with the GMs, talk to the labor people, you know, talk to the owners. By the time Larry O'Brien retires in 1984, David Stern has a five-year head start on the job. And also, and on top of that, he he not only has that, but he has free reign to do whatever he wants. It was just a perfect setup you know, kind of like in baseball, you know, where, you know, the, the setup man leads right into the ace closer. Mm-hmm. That's really what it was with, with O'Brien and Stern. In terms of the most interesting person I spoke to, that's the thing, you know, there weren't a lot of duds. You know, it's funny, like when you talk to that many people, you think, oh, well, this guy's an asshole or this person is, you know, doesn't have anything interesting to say. But really, you know, 95% of the people I spoke to were just great and they had amazing revelations. But the person who I thought was most interesting was, um, was a guy by the name of Mark Tomashow, who was a Nike, a former Nike executive, because to me, he had insights into Nike's dealings with the NBA and how they kind of brought Michael Jordan to the forefront and how they turned him into this sort of commercial property that I didn't know. I mean, I thought were just invaluable. And but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it, it's so hard for me to say, well, this person was by far the, the best person or the most interesting person, because when you talk about when you talk to all these people who spent years either working for the NBA or working um, for the NBA. And a lot of these people were working, were in their 30s or 20s, a formative time in their lives. They're going to have interesting stories. They're going to have amazing memories. So really talking to just about anybody for this book was just a treat. And it was, you know, it was an honor to have them share like they're a part of their lives with me because it was a big part of their lives. It was a part that, you know, they were, they were proud of for the most part. Yeah, definitely. That's really interesting. And yeah, I mean, your, uh, your book is filled with so many really interesting stories. The, um, and I really recommend that if, if anyone who cares about basketball or sports generally, or even just culture, you know, how we live our lives, it's a good book to, to, uh, to pick up. And I definitely recommend that people check it out. I will, of course, include links to it and all of that in the transcript of this. 
on my website. But uh, yeah, the last thing I wanted to mm-hmm. ask you was yeah. just, is there, um, if someone is not a fan, not currently a fan of the NBA, what is there one fact or one story? Like if you had to try to convince someone to check out pro basketball, like to, to watch the NBA today, is there one story from the past that you think would be like a good bridge into the present? Oh man, that's a great question. You know, I, I, to me, I think the story, I think the social history of America can be told through the NBA because you, because it's, to me, that is, you look, if you start off with Bill Russell and his social justice moves in the 1960s, it moves on to the, it moves on to the, to the 70s, which becomes a more marketing driven, more image conscious time. Then you, it goes, feeds into the rise of television, the rise of cable TV, um, you know, and then, and then, and, and then with the 1990s, you have, you know, the shoe industry becoming this colossal cultural force, which the NBA tied into the same with hip hop. There are so many, there are so many storylines and so much history that is imbued into the NBA's, in the NBA's history. To me, it's one and the same. I mean, we always talk about how you can follow, who is it that said, I think, was it, I'm going to, I'm going to forget who said it, but someone once wrote or said that the, you can, you, you can to understand the history of, of America, you should follow baseball. I really think with the, with the modern American history, follow the NBA because you see everything, not only in terms of just cultural history, but also in terms of African-American history and in terms of just the change in the athlete becoming an activist. I mean, that is a huge part of the NBA's history is, is in the sixties, seventies and today with LeBron James um, you know, and, and, and other athletes kind of stepping up to the forefront. So to me, you know, I wrote this book, um, in the hopes that someone who hates sports, who doesn't know, who can't, you know, tell Michael Jordan from Barbara Jordan could, you know, could, could read the book and get it, gain an understanding as to basketball and the NBA, sorry, the NBA's place in the modern American culture. And I think that's the beauty about sports is that, you know, Sports really aren't about sports. So anybody who says, you know, well, the players should shut up and dribble, they're they're not getting it. They're they're not they're they're not understanding. They're not they're not understanding the players as people, and that this is a story. But this is this is a league. Every sport's about people. People shape the narrative, and this is what we're watching right now. We're watching people, you know, you know, stand 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 up and 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 speak out, which you know, was something that's always been part of, um, I think the narrative in American sports. Great. We'll just, uh, that, that's an excellent point. We'll, we'll have to leave it there. Pete, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me about this. I I really appreciate your insights on on this issue and so much more. Is there anything other than the book that you want to plug? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I mean, the book, yes. I mean, if you can, oh, well, actually, you know what? Yes, you can buy my book at any major retailer, um, you know, uh, buy and if you can. But also my brother, Dave, has written a wonderful children's book uh, called Batbot, uh, which is from Golden Books. And uh, it's out now. It's, it's, a, it's my, my daughter had, my five-year-old daughter, soon to be five-year-old daughter, had me and my wife read the book to, to, to her repeatedly for about two weeks. So it's really, really good. Um, so if you're a Batman completist or you have a little one who loves Batman, please buy my brother, Dave Croato's book. It's called Batbot and you can get it, um, at any major online or brick and mortar retailer. 
that's the show. Thanks to Pete Carrado for joining me. As always, you can find a complete transcript of our conversation at readthepresentage.com.